If you're able to remain standing just for a bit longer, I would invite you to do so. If you need to be seated, that's okay as well. Either way, let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. This morning we want to look at a couple of verses in John 1, and then we want to look at a couple of verses in John 17. That would be page 886 and 903, if you would like to use a Bible from the pew. There's one available for you. Turn there to 886 and 903. Otherwise, John chapter 1. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And then go ahead and look at John 17, beginning at verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these that you have, have, that you have sent me, I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known to them that that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. Hmm. There's no word like your word. Every word of yours is true and it is eternally true. It's living, it's active. It's able to even reach us today and show us wonderful things about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that would be our prayer, Father, that as we consider these passages that we've just read, that, that the very presence of your Spirit would be at work in our midst, working, opening our eyes, opening our hearts. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have spent uh, a couple weeks already. We'll spend this morning, and Lord willing, we'll spend next week considering the gift of Christmas. 
The ultimate gift of Christmas is the presence of God in our lives. As we think about Christmas, the birth and arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want us to grapple with the decisive display of God's commitment to restore to creation the original aim of creation. Why do we exist? Why does mankind exist? Why did God make man and all things? The aim of creation is a life lived in the presence of God. And Christ is the agent of restoring the aim of creation to mankind. Two weeks ago, we considered from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, uh, something that it says to us about the practical importance of the presence of God in our lives. In the beginning, God made mankind and placed him in a garden. And that that garden was the original place where the presence of God was known and enjoyed by Adam and Eve. But because of the rebellion, because of the insurrection of Adam and Eve, they were banished from the garden. And more importantly, they were removed and banished from the presence of God. The result was immediately there was a forfeiture of enjoying and knowing the presence of God. The very thing that that mankind was made to know and experience was removed And yet God in his patience, God in his kindness, God in his grace began a rescue, a restoration uh, campaign, if you would. And last week we looked at, at at, at, at a provisional manifestation of the presence of God. In other words, long before Christmas, God began to move toward mankind, creating a people for himself. And that people that he created for himself began to be a people who, once again, provisionally were able to experience the, the presence of God in their lives. God built a tabernacle and later a temple by which his people would be able to approach him, that by which the presence of God would now flourish in the midst of his people. And, and, and yet even the tabernacle and the temple uh, uh, by, uh, had, had, had like garden-like qualities and garden-like symbols affiliated with it to remind them that as they approached God in worship through the tabernacle and later through the temple, they were, if you would, provisionally entering back into that garden experience in which they were able to live and and know and enjoy the presence of God. Now this morning, we want to consider the all-out, fully opened presentation of the presence of God. And John's gospel 
orients us to understanding this. John's gospel, it ironically opens with an account that links the, the, the garden at creation as well as the tabernacle with Israel. We didn't read it, but look up there at verse 1, chapter 1 of the gospel of John. The, the language used there is language very similar to Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now here in John 1.1, in very similar passage, in the beginning, in the beginning, it says in John 1.1, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it immediately goes into, if you would, the rest of Genesis 1.1, where he says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Another way of just saying in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and yet what John 1, 1 orients us to is, that, is that, that, that the God who made all things operates in distinct, unique persons. The word the, we are introduced to the word in John 1.1, 1, 1, which we are told in John 1.14, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we're told in John 1.1 1, 1, that the word was with God and the word was God. So on the one hand, uh, we are being oriented to from the Gospel of John, as well as Genesis 1, the, the pre-existence, the self-existence, the, the eternal existence of a personal God. A personal God meaning that the being of God exists as a community of persons. And we're introduced to two of those persons right here in John 1.1. 1, 1. There is the Word and there is God. And yet by the time we get to our reading in verse 14 through 18, we are also told that the Word is the Son of God, and that God, in Genesis 1-1, is also known as the Father. Distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son. And yet these distinct persons are each equally, eternally, God. And yet this God the Son takes on flesh, and comes and lives among us. And yet that doesn't capture the, the fullness of it. It literally, he dwells among us. Literally, it would be, wouldn't be much of a stretch for me to say, and he tabernacled among us. In other words, a, a, a throwback, a, a reminiscent description of as God dwelt with his people in the garden, as God dwelt with his people in the tabernacle and in the temple, now in even a kicked up kind of way, God is dwelling with his people once again. God is at work restoring the aim of creation Mankind living in, mankind knowing and enjoying the presence of God because God, God the Son, became a man. And the God-man now comes and dwells in our midst. So even that little baby that 
Carl spoke of who was wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. That baby was a real human baby, and yet that baby was also the eternal God. The maker of all things became a real human, a made thing without ceasing to be God. And this God-man entered into our world, our sin-laden and thus our justly cursed and condemned world with a mission to rescue, to restore, and to remake. He came for us. Just as God came for Adam and Eve in the garden when they turned away from God. God still is the one who is in this this aggressive pursuit of his people. I want you to think about the reality of Christmas. And that is when you think of Christmas, think of the reality that God has come looking for you. He came to enter this world and to enter the, what this world has been subjected to under the, the very just curse of God. He came into this world uh, to tabernacle uh, with us. Not since the Lord had walked in the garden with Adam and Eve has there been such a direct face-to-face kind of experience with the presence of God. He dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. In other words, there's never been a manifestation of the presence of God Quite like this one. Oh, even even when he appeared in the temple, even when he appeared in the tabernacle, those were not dull, dreary things. Those were spectacular, awe-inspiring things. Yet, he came and displayed the fullness of the glory of God, at least as, as much of the fullness that you and I could withstand and live to tell about it. But he came to do a work. And to qualify him and to uh, enable him to do the work, he came, we're told in our passage, armed fully with grace and truth. And I would suggest to you that that little description there, we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth, uh, that uh, that is parallel to uh, the encounter that Moses had with the Lord. In Exodus 33 and 34, uh, uh, Moses asked the Lord, show me your glory. And, and, 
and the Lord tucks Moses in the cleft of a rock and, and, and reveals his hind parts, his backside. And as he does that, he speaks his word to Moses. In Exodus 34, 6, for instance, it says, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In other words, this, what John 1.14 and following say about the grace and truth of God is analogous, parallel to what God revealed to Moses about himself, that God is filled with steadfast love and faithfulness, that God is, is that Christ comes armed with grace and truth. A part of our hope and our prayer is that each of us this morning in gathering here would not miss the point of Christmas. I mean, it's Christmas Eve. And I know you still have to go out and buy my gift and whatnot, but uh, if you haven't already, um, and, uh, but so we'll let you out of here in time to, to do that. But, but what I really want us to grasp this morning is not such silliness as that. I want us to grasp something unique and stunning about Jesus. John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God. And then it adds, the only God who is at the Father's right side has made him known. How, how do we know that we're seeing Jesus aright? Because we'll, we'll, never, we'll never see who God the Father is unless we see clearly who God, Jesus, is. Many people aren't, aren't automatically opposed to celebrating Christmas. Many people will concede, yeah, a guy named Jesus, he arrived. Followed us, we followed a star and located him. They will recognize the birth of Christ. Christ. Many people will even go further than that, and, and many will acknowledge great respect for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they'll say he was a great teacher. Uh, they'll, they'll say he was um, a wonderful moral example. But unfortunately, many might miss seeing Jesus for who he really is. I don't want to take anything away from his great teaching, nor do I want to take anything away from his moral example uh, that he is. No one can top any of those features about him, and yet, and yet there's, there's something even more unique and stunning about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh. He is the full manifestation of the presence and glory of God who became a man. And I point that out because if what you and I see in reference or in regard to Jesus 
is something that we could see, and yet it still leaves us bored. We could see something in Jesus, and yet what we see still leaves our hearts restless and unsatisfied. If what we think we see in Jesus nevertheless leads us still searching for something more, something better. And I would suggest we've still not seen Jesus. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, speaking of those who are perishing. He says, in in their case, the God of this world has blinded them, uh, has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing, keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We can see some things about Jesus and miss the real point of what we need to see in reference to Jesus. Do we see him in all of his glory, all of his beauty? Do we see him so that now our hearts are no longer restless? We can see him for what he really is, the the most direct manifestation of the presence of God that you and I would ever taste and experience. How could we taste the presence of God and still be bored? How could we taste the presence of God and still have hearts that are restless? How could we taste the presence of God in Jesus Christ and still be unsatisfied? We haven't found what we're looking for. How could we truly see the presence of God in our Lord Jesus Christ and still have hearts that are overtaken by a host of sins? Sins that plague our moods, sins that plague our attitudes, sins that plague our actions, sins that plague our behaviors. All because our hearts have not been captivated. Our hearts have not been enthralled with Jesus. For it is now in him that we experience the presence of God. The very agent of restoring uh, the aim of creation is now the highest expression of the presence of God. You see, the reality of who Jesus truly is in all of his grace and truth, in all of his beauty and glory, it must take root in our hearts. So we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus subsidiary and secondary in our lives? 
then we don't know him. Because we don't know him as he is glorious and beautiful, full of grace and truth. The one whom we look to and our hearts are satisfied. The one whom we look to and our lives are given direction. The one whom we look to and our sins are conquered. You see, we miss the point of Christmas, the arrival of Jesus, when Christ is only prominent in our lives and not preeminent. In other words, Jesus must be the center of our universe. Our lives must revolve around Jesus. If not, we have massively missed the point of Christmas. He has come looking for you. He has come looking for me. He has come to show us who he really is, not our cultural uh, adaptations of who he might be, but who he really is, the pure, unvarnished, 100 proof of the Lord Jesus Christ himself in all of his fullness and glory. And yet, and yet, let me spend just a couple of minutes before we're dismissed and explore an interesting reality. For in John 1, he uh, announces that Jesus came. And yet we had read in John 17 uh, uh, something more about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is on the eve. Um, this is really in the context in which, as, as Carl has, uh, has referenced the Lord's Supper, this is all in the context of the Lord speaking to his disciples and describing uh, how they were to remember him through the Lord's table. It is in, it is in that context that he, he drops the bombshell uh, up, up on them. In John 16, the chapter before John 17, he says this to them. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. I mean, what's with that? All of creation has been waiting for the arrival of Jesus. He gets here. He, he, he hangs around for about 30 years, three years in a, in a very uh, uh, intense way. And, and then he announces his departure. You and I were made to live in the presence of God. Jesus came to make that possible. And then Jesus leaves. Well, he leaves because the very next morning he will be arrested and he will be tried bogusly and he will be crucified and he will be buried and in three days he will rise from the dead and, and then he will dwell in his resurrected state among his people for some 40 days and then he, he will ascend to the right hand of the Father where he's still at to this day. And it's in that context then that as he departs, he doesn't leave us without his presence. He dispatches the spirit of his presence to, to, to not merely be among us, but to now permanently inhabit us. And I point that out 
because I want to tap into a couple of things that's said in our reading in John 17. Particularly look at verses 25 and 26 of John 17. He says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I make known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Now, wait a minute. How is he going to continue to make it known when he's just announced he's leaving? He continues to make himself and his name and the Father's name known to his people by the third person of the Godhead, the the now indwelling Holy Spirit of God, that the presence of God is no longer just a thing that's out there. The presence of God, because of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, is now a thing that inhabits each of God's believing people. Every follower of Jesus has now permanently placed inside of them the the presence of God. And it is now the abiding, enduring, indwelling presence of God that continues to carry out what Jesus said he would do, that he would continue to make known to his people, uh, the, the, the Father. The Spirit of God now does that in the hearts and lives of his children. Do you know that testimony? Do you have that testimony of the Spirit of God making known God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ to you? And he says at the very tail end, after he says, and I will continue to make it known to you that, this is kind of a result clause here, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The Spirit of God indwells us. The Spirit of Christ, if you would, indwells us. And with the Spirit of Christ indwelling us, there is to be a felt assurance, a felt experience that that we can give testimony to, and that is the Father loves his Son, and now the Son lives in us. And now the spirit of his son continually makes known not only the father, but the love of the father for his son. All who this morning are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ have the abiding, indwelling presence of God. God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ is now inhabiting all who are trusting in Jesus. And, 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 and having the indwelling Spirit inside of us enables us to experience the loving presence of the Father. That the same way Jesus feels in terms of God's love being shed toward him is now the same sort of sense and experience that you and I can have this day. Say, man, boy, do I know how much the father loves his son because I can feel it. That love the love the Father has for Jesus, that now by the Spirit 
percolates in our hearts. It is designed to fill and to flood our hearts. Why? Because we were always made to experience his loving presence. And now being made anew in Christ Jesus, we were made again anew to experience the permanent indwelling presence of God. And in so doing, we were made to feel the constant, continual, reassuring love that the Father has for his Son. Now here's how that's possible. As Carl alluded to, this baby was born to die. In between his birth and his death, he did what I haven't done. He's de- he did what none of us has done. He lived a perfect life. He carried out every nook and cranny of God's righteous requirements. And this perfect son of God went to the cross. And there he voluntarily, gladly laid down his life for people like you and I. Any who even this morning who are trusting in Jesus or who would turn and trust in Jesus for the first time this morning, at the cross, he was our substitute. He took away our sins and the condemnation of our sins by bearing up uh, upon his own body our sins and the strokes of, of justice for our sins to clear the way so that the Spirit of God would move into our hearts. And the Spirit of God in the hearts of those who are trusting in Jesus can be a wonderful experience in which we are continually reassured of how much the Father loves his Son. Don't miss Christmas. Don't miss the experience of of the love of God that can be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit because we trust in Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the presence of God that you have given to us fully and finally and forevermore in Christ Jesus. Our prayer this morning, Father, is that each of us would leave out of here dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ, dependent upon the righteous life that he lived, dependent upon the perfect sacrifice and substitution that he put forward, dependent upon the fact that you raised him from the dead, dependent upon his ever-to-live intercession for us, dependent upon the indwelling Spirit of God within us. Oh, Father, may we not leave out of here on Christmas Eve missing the whole point of Christmas. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.